Travels with John Smith, Year One, Chinese New Year Holiday, 2012, Chapter 13, Beijing. We arrive in Wuhan from Phnom Penh, and our apartment is freezing, like a scene from Dr. Shrivago. The combination of the cold and the cement walls means that even with the heater blasting out heat for 24 hours straight, the temperature only climbs very slowly. So we keep busy, washing clothes and switching suitcases to get ready for Beijing. We decided before we left for Cambodia that we would use the last week of our holiday to check out Beijing. We find the train schedule on the internet and it says there are a few trains leaving for Beijing tonight. We look up the different types of trains and decide we would like a soft sleeper. This is a compartment with four bunks that has a door that closes. In order to facilitate the purchase of train tickets to Beijing, I print out a sentence from Google Translate to take with us. In English, it says, We would like the 9 o'clock soft sleeper train to Beijing or the next available train if this is not possible. We take a taxi to the train station and join one of the lineups to buy a ticket. The room is packed with people and feels very chaotic. We are the only foreigners in the lineup and a female security guard comes over and tries to help. Her English is not great, but she is trying. We get to the end of the lineup and I show the seller my paper with the Google translation on it. She takes the money and gives the tickets. We move out of the way and are about to leave the room. We decide to look at the tickets and notice the date. It is in four days' time. The security guard is still with us and she points at the at the board, where everything is written in Chinese. She tells us there are no trains for four days to anywhere. I plead, what about Shanghai? The reality of the situation sinks in. We only have ten days left, and we want to be back three days before school starts again, so four days will cut into the precious days we have left. We decide to try to get a flight to Beijing. The security guard helps us to go back to the front of the line and we get our money back. We go downstairs in the train station to a kind of China help desk where they do everything from let you use the phone to book a ticket for a price. We know we will get a paycheck while we are in Beijing, but until then we need to use a credit card. The only one we have with us is my debit visa card, which was issued in the UK and I was keeping for emergencies only. It has just enough credit on it for the airline tickets, but when we try to swipe it, it doesn't work. The agent woman suggests we take money from the ATM in the kiosk next door. I try the card and the machine swallows it. No! We've been standing in the cold hallway for four hours waiting for the guy from the bank to come and get the card out. 
The lady at the help desk has called them several times, asking when they will come, and she is now closed. The man arrives, and I get my card back. We decide to go home and try to book online. We discover the card expired on my birthday a few days ago, which is why the machine kept it. We do a search in the apartment and gather every cent we can find, including various other foreign monies that we have. We are at the China Air ticket desk at the airport, and we have two tickets on the next flight to Beijing in our hands. It was only about 20 bucks more than the overnight train and very easy. John is now convinced there will be no more buses, no more trains, etc., only planes from here on in. And besides, there are always nice toilets in the airport. We are in the downtown tourist section of Beijing with our bags in hand, looking for our hotel. We took an express train from the airport and then the subway, and we are lost. Two young women who work for the famous Beijing Hotel take us to some police officers who call the hotel, and the manager, Yang, walks over to get us. The hotel is a hutong, which is a traditional Chinese house. The rooms are built around a central courtyard, and these rooms are decorated in a very artistic manner. I love the big, heavy wooden Chinese furniture, gorgeous colors and pictures, like you are in someone's home. It is also pretty warm, which is good, as Beijing is cold with harsh winds coming in from the north. The hotel is run by two young guys, Young and Freeman. They are like mother hens, making sure we are okay, and both speak English very well. We go for dinner in a mall nearby and have, I'm ashamed to say, puting. It is like comfort food, just what we need right now. I read about an antique market that is meant to be quite famous, where they say in the article that everything is priced ten times what it's worth, so you have to bargain. We find the market. It is full of interesting things, and since we are low on cash until we get paid, we become very good at bargaining. We develop a good cop, bad cop routine, where I point to something and the vendor says the price. I counter with a value at least six times lower. They laugh, say no, and John pulls me away. They chase us, saying, okay, okay, you can have it for that price. We buy a couple of paintings and some cultural revolution paraphernalia. One of the paintings is in two parts and is a red background with a blue dragon. This year is the year of the dragon, and John is a water dragon, which only happens once every 60 years. So this seems like a perfect way to celebrate being in China and John's sign in Chinese horoscope. We meet up with Buck and Megan and Buck's parents for dinner. I have mentioned them before, a couple we teach and hang out with. I love the excitement of meeting somewhere in the world with people you know from somewhere else. 
Buck and Megan have already been in Beijing for a couple of days and have been to the farthest part of the Great Wall earlier today. This section of the wall is for people who are either young or like hiking up steep places or who are a little crazy. Apparently, they offer an oxygen bottle and regulator with the price of admission at this part of the wall. We take the wonderfully clean and efficient Beijing subway to the Summer Palace. It is a cold, bright day, and we walk around the lake to the middle of the grounds. The lake is mostly frozen, and so there are lots of people sliding around on the middle of it. We notice that it is melting at the edges, though, so we do not join them. We do expect to hear screams or a loud crack, but it doesn't happen. We watch an older gentleman who does water calligraphy on the pavement and concrete sidewalks with an instrument made from a three-foot piece of one-inch PVC pipe with a plastic one-liter pop bottle full of water feeding into the top end of the pipe and a plume-shaped piece of sponge wrapped in cloth on the business end of the apparatus. He entertains a crowd of visitors as he writes the characters for Canada, my Chinese name, Yo Yi, and John's Chinese name, Yohan, on the sidewalk. I take pictures of the many tea houses scattered around the grounds. They are beautiful old Chinese buildings, but now have fast food and coffee written on the front of them. It is a kind of metaphor of what China is now. I trip and fall on the two little steps outside the door of our room and twist my foot or ankle. Young tells me I should stay in bed and rest and let John get me lunch. Although I like the sound of this, I am aware of the things we want to do and see. We start the day by going to Grandma's kitchen for a good American breakfast, and I get the strength I need to continue. We walk in the front entrance of the Forbidden City, and there's a section with tents and some laundry outside, a basketball court and a gymnastics floor exercise area. John and I wonder who lives there, the soldiers? And what happens when the gates are closed after all the tourists have gone home? Do they have a party in there? That would be a documentary I would certainly watch. The Forbidden City never seems like it's going to end. One gate opens into another area and then another. We can see how difficult it would be for an invading army to get to anyone who does not want to be found. We walk all the way to the other side, which is a few city blocks. Across the street from the exit of the Forbidden City is a hill that our friend Young told us about. He mentioned that you can see most of Beijing from there. I decide not to make the climb. I stay in a cafe below, drinking tea and snacking on a Snickers bar, which I think helps my aching foot. John climbs the hill and takes pictures and videos of the city from above to show me the view. We opt to take the one yuan, or 20 cent, bus instead of the 
150 yuan rickshaw to Tiananmen Square. Tiananmen Square is big and impressive, about one quarter full of people with really big TV screens, the famous worker and soldier statues. Mao Zedong's tomb is there too, but the viewing times end at noon, so we miss going inside. We are walking back to our hotel, and we see a building that looks like a very skinny railway car, with tables for two along the wall on both sides. We can see steam rising from bowls of what looks like chicken noodle soup, so we go inside hoping to take the chill out of our bones. There is no heating apart from two small electric heaters above two of the tables, so we sit under one of them. There is no English menu and no one speaks English there, so we have to guess what we are ordering. A smiling 12-year-old girl brings soup in big silver metal bowls and it warms our hands and our innards. It is cheap, 10 yuan each, less than $2 each. I love these places. It is Valentine's Day and we are standing on the Great Wall of China. I try to text my son Bogart and call my mom, but neither call works. Being on the wall is like a dream. I try to stay in the moment and enjoy it while we are here. John says, It is like being inside a picture you have seen many times. It is an amazing structure. We are on the middle part of the wall, so it is farther than the most touristy section, but not as hard to climb as the part Megan and Buck went to. It takes a couple of hours to get there by shuttle bus. There are parts of the wall where we don't see anybody at all, but the view is extraordinary from every direction. The older parts are a lot steeper than you might imagine, and my fear of heights comes back with a vengeance when we climb, and especially as we descend. There is nothing to hang on to, and the steps are steep and very small. So John offers me his strong shoulder to lean on, and we go slowly. There are a few people up here selling souvenirs, Coca-Cola, beer, and, of course, Snickers bars. And one even has his donkey with him. The donkey is leaning against the wall, looking very tired. The vendors tell us they climb up here from their villages every morning, and it is at least two hours away on foot. We've been walking for three hours up and down, and I can't imagine doing this every day. To get to the top of the wall to start the walking tour, you take a double chair ski lift. You could also go down the same way if you wanted, but they also have a giant slide, like a bobsled track made of stainless steel that goes down the mountain. I tell John that I am scared to do this, but he talks me into it, saying he will ride in the sled behind me to make sure I am okay, making sure there are no yahoos coming up fast behind me. So I am on my way down, using the stick shift-like handle that acts as a brake to slow me down on the steep parts. There are people acting as speed guards 
at checkpoints along the way to remind you to slow down, and they usually hold up a sign that says, Slow down. I assume they also pick people up who have fallen or flown off. Every time I see one of these guards, instead of waving at me to slow down, as they do with everyone else, they wave at me to go faster. At the bottom of the mountain, there are lots of vendors selling t-shirts that say, I climbed the wall, which I won't need because I'm sure my legs will remind me. They are also selling Mao hats with flaps for your ears. John wants one, but everyone he tries on is too small for his head. The vendors insist they have a bigger size, but they just give him the same size over and over again. We are on to that ruse. Young and Freeman recommend a fish restaurant right next to the hutong that we had already noticed was packed every night. They reserve a table for us and the waiter seats us at an inside table, even though they are putting extra tables in an unheated outdoor courtyard for the overflow of customers. They only have three different kinds of fish on the menu, but you can also order as many vegetables as you want. They add these roasted vegetables to the fish at no extra cost. It is a huge fish, and we eat it directly from the huge platter it comes on with chopsticks. It is delicious, and we imagine it will be very expensive. But the whole thing comes to under $30 for both of us. We are in the silk market this morning, and I try to find shoes that fit, but discover that even in Beijing, they do not have my size in shoes. John goes to some Chinese shops and buys a Chinese-language DVD book that we will use to help us learn the language a little better. I am not feeling well, so we don't go for Peking duck or Beijing duck, which we had planned. Everything has caught up with me. The fall, the excess walking, and the cold. I can't seem to get warm despite both heaters being on in the room, and I am fully clothed with my coat on under the covers. My skin is so dry, it's peeling off, raw and very painful. The change in food and my self-removal from a hormone medication I had been on for a long time has all piled up on me. I fall asleep at 7 p.m. Thank you.